0: Welcome to City Talks, a monthly podcast looking at the big issues facing UK cities and the latest thinking on urban policy. I'm your host, Andrew Carter, from the Think Tank Centre for Cities. I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to this episode of City Minutes. Today, I'm joined by my colleague, Paul Swinney. We're going to be talking about our latest briefing, which is called Does Trickle Out Work? How Cities Help Their Surrounding Towns? Uh, good to have you on the podcast, Paul. Uh, let's start with the title, which is provocative. Give us, unpack the title, give us a sense as to why the briefing is entitled as it is.
1: Very provocative indeed. Um, and this is a term, trickle out, that has been applied uh, to ego development in recent years, which borrows from the term trickle down, which I think is an idea, I think it was the 90s, maybe, some America, where it was. Can you try and uh, boost the incomes of the richest in society? They'll spend their money, and that'll then propagate down through society. So you'll know, help the top ten percent or the top one percent, and and the rest of society will do well from it. This is something that I think is being um, derided since. I think there's a great deal of evidence suggests that that is the inevitable way of trying to uh, boost the economy. And so it is very much seen as is now used as a pejorative term. This term "trickle down." What has been used by um, by people uh, who are uncomfortable with the idea of focusing on big cities in the UK, so it's about place rather than people, a really important distinction. The idea that we've seen, which said the cities has pushed forward and then has influenced the levelling of white paper and again influenced the thinking uh, in this year's budget as well, which is you know, we, the big problem in the UK is the performance with big cities. We need to do something with that, and that will bring wider prosperity. Is that the people that have attacked that have said, well, that's not trickle down, but it's trickle out. You know, pejoratively said use the term, you know, playing on those on those words called this is trickle out economics. You're just saying that, you know, invest in the big city, it'll all be right in the big city, and, and this wealth will just spread out to the to the wider areas, and that's not a great position um, to be in. So we thought, well, let's explore that, let's understand whether uh, through new data, where what the relationship actually looks like. And are people right to use that term pejoratively, or actually is it somewhat unhelpful for them to be doing that? Uh, and, and just to say, so the briefing looks at um, the eight
0: big English uh, cities, um, and which are home to about 9.3 million people, and then looks at the relationships that they have with 679 towns and villages all around them in their hinterlands, and those 679 uh, towns and villages are home to about 5 million people. So it's a big chunk yeah. of the country. So, you know, it's not all of the country, but it is a reasonably sized um, chunk of the country that we're looking at. Great. OK, so um, let's get into the the main findings of which there are three. So just take us through each one in turn. So just what's main finding number
1: one? Great. Well, let me tell you a little bit about what we what we do first. So we say, um, let's look at. Uh, Incomes, resident incomes uh, in the big cities, but also in the towns and villages that surround them. So, in the hinterlands of these big places. we can do that through new data from ONS, which allows us to look at a very, very low level. And then we say, let's look at commuting patterns into those big cities. So, what's the relationship then between average incomes in a town or village and the share of people that commute into the the big cities? And, like you say, Andrew, there are three findings. So, finder number one is that average incomes in most towns and villages around big cities are higher. Than average incomes for the big city dwellers. Now, that might be a bit of a surprise because if you think about the debate that we've heard over the last five or six years, you know, it's been about left behind towns, now big cities are running away uh, with all of their success and they don't bring any benefit to the wider area. Actually, this data shows that most towns and villages are more prosperous from a resident income perspective than what their, their big cities are. So that definitely gives us pause for thought, I think, in terms of those discussions. And
0: I was just going to say on on that, you said that most. I mean, it's considerably the most, right? I mean, eighty percent of the um, of these places have average incomes that are above their nearest uh, large city. And from the briefing, you can see that thirty seven percent have average incomes that are above ten percent of their nearest yes. city. So you know, it's it's a high number. It's yeah. not just a marginal number. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. So in over a third of these places, people are being paid on average at least ten percent more. It's a big step.
0: Yeah. So that's finding one. Incomes are higher in these places
1: outside of the city than inside for the residents. Uh, what's finding number two? Finding two is that as the commuting flows get stronger, so as places have a greater share of their people commuting into uh, the big city, actually incomes rise. So there's a positive relationship between the two. And this very much then starts to tell us about how these big cities actually do spread prosperity to their wider area. They are centres of jobs. You so know these these areas in these towns and villages around provide workers, you know, key inputs to, to a 21st century economy, but then those cities provide the prosperity for those workers to take those, those wages back. And so it very much, I think, shows that not only is trickle-out a thing, it's actually more about, you know, it's about flood-out. You know, it's very much these places are providing prosperity for uh, their broader areas. And, you know, you can say correlation is not causation, but when we then cross-check that with other data, which tells us that, um, in-commuters do take higher paid jobs uh, in the cities than what the city residents do. It very much sort of paints a picture of these big places providing prosperity, not just for their own residents, but for residents in surrounding towns and villages too. Yeah, very good. Um, so, so, finding number three.
0: This is the but bit. There's always a bit of a but with uh, with some of our work. So, so good, uh, so good, so far, so far, so good. Uh finding number three.
1: So, the... Um, the issue is that when we compare a place like uh, like Bristol, which is very, very prosperous, uh, to a place like Newcastle, which is very much falls into one of the, the big cities that underperforms and trails well behind where it should be, we see that um, that Newcastle's underperformance very much um, limits the prosperity therefore can then spread to its wider areas. So Newcastle's underperformance is bad for the, the broader area. And so how do we see this? Well, if you look at the relationship, in in both places, we see a positive relationship exists in both. So the more that, the higher the shares of people commuting into Bristol or Newcastle, higher incomes are. So they're both playing similar functions in their broader area. But if you overlay those uh, two places on top of each other, what we see is that there are very many fewer uh, places around Newcastle that have high incomes and commuting uh, to Newcastle than what is the case in in Bristol. So for example, in Bristol, if we say right, well, let's say let's look at everywhere that has at least twenty percent of people commuting into Bristol. And uh, earn at least an average seventeen and a half thousand pounds. which have eighteen towns or villages around Bristol all in that high prosperity category, and they cover about ninety thousand people who are working residents who who live there. If we look at Newcastle, the you know, same criteria, we see it's only nine. So that's half the number of towns and villages, and it's around about 36,000 people um, who live in those places. So it t- shows you very much this element of you know, Newcastle is playing the, the role in the broader northeast economy of providing prosperity for the broader area, but because it underperforms, the amount of prosperity it shares is limited. And so that's part in part why we need to make these interventions in a place like Newcastle. You know, it'll be good for Newcastle itself, it'll be good for for, um, for the UK as a whole we be making that larger contribution, but it should also have that broader impact on its surrounding area too. Yeah, not quite. And that's, that's a great point in a sense. The stronger the the performance of
0: the city, actually the broader and the bigger the effect it has on its locality rather than the other way around, which again, yeah, challenges the conventional wisdom that the stronger a place does, places around it, you know, suffer uh, as a result of that Actually, The analysis shows the opposite. Um, in the... um. In in the briefing, we also have a little look at um, Liverpool, which is more akin to Newcastle than it is to um, to Bristol. But there is something else going on in the sort of Liverpool uh, sort of wider city region. Just,
1: just say a little bit about Liverpool. Yeah, Liverpool is a really interesting one, and we sort of scratched our heads and dug around the data for a long time on, on this one in particular. So when we look across all of the the eight uh, large cities in England that we look at, the the relationship is. Um, uh, Is pretty consistent across them, you know, a positive relationship, a bit of variation here and there because of specific local factors. Well, Liverpool was a um, was a one where um it really stood out in that if we um took a very broad number of towns and villages in a very wide hinterland, there wasn't any relationship at all. We thought, okay, well, what's going on with this? And we sort of looked in and dug into the data quite a bit, and then realized that actually if we scaled it back. And looked at a very much smaller hinterland around Liverpool, the same the relationship holds. So oh. very small number of places, you know, places like uh like Formby, like West Kirby, for example. Um, you know, these places do benefit from the prosperity of Liverpool, and the more the community, people communicate, the greater that prosperity is. But if you get outside of this very immediate hinterland, it breaks down. And what that was telling us is that it's because places just that little bit further out are actually going elsewhere to access their prosperity. And because of Liverpool's underperformance, actually, it is spreading prosperity to its very immediate neighbours. But beyond that, isn't really reaching out further in the way that it should do, you know, with a, a negative impact for, you know, for the Northwest more generally. Now, there are a couple of reasons for this. One is clearly that you know, there are a lot of urban areas in the Northwest, and Manchester obviously is the biggest amongst that. And certainly those places are between Liverpool and Manchester. have got a choice between the two, so it isn't just about Liverpool. So that was sort of reducing Liverpool's sort of economic gravity um, to, to some extent. But actually there's something really interesting going on in, in, in Cheshire, and especially West Cheshire, where um, those towns around there, which are actually very affluent, um, very much more pointed towards Chester which is a tiny place compared to Liverpool, than what they did point into Liverpool, and I think that what that's telling us is that you know that's great that Chester's there. It's great that Chester brings that prosperity to, to, to that area. But the issue that we've got is that because Liverpool is underperforming, actually is not adding a complementary source of, of jobs and high paid jobs in particular, you know, reaching out into North and, and West Cheshire. And that's a real problem again, because you know, people living around Chester should have the option or should have a viable option. say actually there's a job in Chester, but also there's, there's one in Liverpool. And that it isn't, that actually shrinks the, the prosperity and opportunity that they have um, access to. Now, you, know, you might say, well, that's just the way it is. You know, Chester's there and, and it's and it's doing that and um and and you shouldn't worry about Liverpool. You know, we see a similar sort of thing to the southeast of Birmingham where Stratford upon Avon and, and Lavington Spa are doing something a bit similar as well. But if you look in, uh, around Bristol, for example, you know Bristol has got uh, has got Bath on its doorstep, very pleasant place to live. You know, quite a strong um, small economy, and yet what's going on there is that there's a dynamic that you know Bath is providing a degree of prosperity, but Bristol performs so well that it is providing a you know a viable alternative as well, which expect increased the amount of prosperity available overall. So it's not the case that you know you can't have a strong small town and a strong city next door, and there's a there's a challenge there, I think, for Liverpool about. Um about the performance. You know, how would we get Liverpool performing better to, you know, spread prosperity and spread even greater prosperity to those that have got access to um to, to Chester and actually then spread prosperity elsewhere to other towns that maybe don't do quite so well and not benefiting from being close to Liverpool or Manchester or or wherever else?
0: Great. Okay, that's really helpful. So so now
1: so let's go on to
0: so the obvious point now is not all towns um are benefiting from their proximity to uh to their nearest um city and we think again with a nice bit of symmetry that there may be three factors or three reasons that are interacting with each other but also just tell us a little bit about the extent to which towns are benefiting so just run through those uh, those three for
1: us certainly so the first one uh no surprise for a centre of the city's report you noise know, skills around this what we see is that most places that have um higher uh, shares of people with high skills um, have higher have high incomes and higher commuting into their big city. Interestingly, I think when you look at some low-skilled places, particularly those that are, that are close to the, to the the big city, they do still access the city for, for prosperity, but that's mainly transmitted through access to jobs, which tend to be lower-skilled, rather than access to high-paid jobs. And this is a, there's an interesting distinction there about you know, high skills, it's worth doing the longer journey to get access to the high-skilled jobs. And The city very much is spreading that, that prosperity for high-skilled workers. To some extent, it does do it for low-skilled workers too, but it is for low-skilled jobs. But when you look at the, the pattern overall, you see that those towns and villages that have a higher share of high-skilled residents, they're the ones that disproportionately access to the prosperity within the city.
0: So if that's what, if the reason one is to do with skills and educational base of the, of the people in these towns and villages... What's the, what's the second reason? So the
1: second is the quality of life offer that these towns and villages are, are making. What are they like as places to live? And so if the first one is thinking about new existing residents, the second one points more towards how attractive a place is to, uh, to attract in these, uh, these high school residents who might be decide to leave and leave the big city to move to a town or moving from elsewhere in the country and thinking, you know what, I've got a job in, in Leeds where I'm going to go and live. Around Leeds, if I'm not going to live in the big city itself. Um, And how we, we, it's obviously fairly difficult to handle on this, but we look at measures of housing and measures of crime, and we see that those places that have got that better quality of life offer, perhaps unsurprisingly, are the ones that have greater links to the city, which is telling us something about the preferences of high skilled workers and where they choose to go and, and live or not go and live.
0: And then the third, so that's, so we've got something around skills, we've got something around quality of life. I mean, particularly looking at the amenity and housing offer, uh, and then we've got a third reason, which is to do with travel. So just unpick that.
1: Yeah. So again, to some extent, not a big surprise, but there's an interesting nuance within this in that those places that are closer to um, uh, to the big city um, have lower travel times because because of basically look closer to them or and or they've got better transport links as well, also benefit more from the prosperity that is available in the city. So it's quite interesting if you say look to the north of Newcastle and look at a place, you know, in, towards the north of Northumberland like uh Seahouses or right on the border of uh, Berwick. You know, they're a very, very long way away from uh from Newcastle and they, you know, they're places that struggle, you know, low average incomes uh, in those places just that prosperity is too far away. Now, I don't know, maybe if we uh if we turned the A 19 uh going up to past seahouses and towards Berwick into a you know it's remote way, perhaps actually it would be a bit quicker to get a Newcastle and we would see a, a slight improvement. So clearly transport is has an impact. We see this through the data when we compare different towns, those that are further away to those that are closer, their outcomes are are different. Having said that, the slight twist in that is that um it always fails in our circles that transport is seen as the silver bullet. And if only we just had really good transport, then all of a sudden everyone everyone would travel and and everything would be okay. But of course, we have to be a little bit careful with that because it isn't. travel and transport links are an important part of it, but they're part of the wider mix about what does a place offer. So if you're, let's say we're going to decide to to leave the big city and move to a town or a village, you're going to think, well, I want to go somewhere where I can get the type of house that I want and get these sort of amenities that I want. Uh, however defined and I am going to look at travel times within that as well but it is part of the package and it isn't the be all and end all. Now let's pick out some examples of this and, and two good ones are Tamworth and Lichfield around Birmingham. Now what's interesting is that Tamworth actually has slightly quicker connections into Birmingham than what Litchfield has. It's around about eight or, or nine minutes when we looked into this and yet Litchfield's outcomes are much better, or certainly resident incomes in Lichfield are much better, much higher than what they are in Tamworth. Now that comes down to in part when you look at some of those other measures that uh, come into play. So skills are much higher in Lichfield, and um, housing quality. Um, as we define it, is much higher. Crime is lower as well. And probably what that's telling us is that yes, Tamworth is a bit quicker to get into Birmingham, but actually there are whole other uh, things within Litchfield that means that high-skilled people, when they're choosing to move somewhere or indeed stay where where they are, actually willing to do that trade-off, that they will take a slightly longer transport journey, slightly longer commute if they have got those other amenities in place. Now, this is important you know for government policy because the government is actually proposing and is actually doing you know things like this already which is we're going to expand transport and and things are going to be better you know it is looking to open up uh the, the some of the lines cut in the beach cuts uh, It's has done one already in the southwest and it is in the process of, of looking into to doing one uh, into Northumberland as well through blythe now The issue for Blythe is not that it hasn't got good transport links into Newcastle. Actually, quite a lot of people commute to Newcastle already. I think the bigger issue is skills and and housing quality and and crime in those places, that just putting a train line in is not going to solve. And so we do just need to be wary, I think, of these ideas that uh, transport on its own will be the answer.
0: Great. Well, I think that neatly leads on then to... Um, implications for policy, which, you know, they've been evident throughout the, the, the conversation we've been having. But just just re- reiterate and uh, reinforce
1: the, the implications for policy as we move forward. Well, the first one is that trickle-out works. You know, they're using a pejorative term to describe a relationship that exists. It really isn't helpful for the people who live in the towns and villages that we are trying to help. And so the government's focus, the white paper the white papers focus on trying to improve big cities. I think is right not only for the national economy, but is right for the wider regional economy as well. You know, we should be uh, we should be backing that. That doesn't mean we shouldn't make any economic interventions in other places, um, but it does also mean that we sh- we should be aware of the relationships and work with those relationships rather than pretending that they just aren't there. Because a lot of the times, just just investing in the towns without doing something for the in the big cities is not really going to help anybody. Um, second one is in terms of direct interventions in town, skills definitely is a big one. You know, don't go and put a trade line in there if you haven't got you know, the 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 skills there for the people to make it worth their while to go and access or so be able to access the the jobs within big cities and you know, we should be trying to drive up skills uh in uh, all settlements across the UK, be that big city, small city, large town, small town, or village. Third one is around quality of life. You know, what can we do uh, in places that are uh, are struggling if we get the big city picture right and there's more prospect to go around, what we're doing around the type of housing that's there, the housing mix, the other amenities that people are interested in, what we're doing about crime in these places too, you know, how do we make those sorts of interventions, those types of private of place things at the levelling up white paper actually does identify. You know We should be thinking about those for um, uh, for, for these smaller places. Both one is your know, transport is important, what can we do around that? But you know, be wary that you've got to think about in the context of are the jobs available in the big city? Have they got the skills to, to access uh, those things? And then is actually the quality of life off the right that people will want to, to move to uh, that town or village? Um, and then the final one is the recommendations around isolated places. Now, by that we mean towns or villages that are quite some distance away from a from a city that don't fall you know within the, the towns that we've been looking at. Um what do you do for them? I think this is much trickier now. Some of the policy response recently seems to be being, you know, we'll have these big one-off uh, interventions, like you know, gigafactories. You know, that is the the latest thing that we have in our in our circles. You know, once it was about creative industries or or whatever, and the current, or, and then it was cultural regeneration. Now it seems to be gigafactories are the answer, and public sector relocation, and public sector relocations, public sector relocations indeed, very important one. Let's not forget those. Um, you know. Policy can do that. There are clear economic levers that policy can pull, but you can only do that you know, almost by definition in a handful of places, so it's not going to work um, everywhere. Um, and so I think the, the bigger issue or you know, the bigger policy lesson from this is that the economic levers that we have for those isolated places are very limited. So instead, we should be thinking about other levers, social levers that we can pull. So how do we try and make public services their best best poss- best as best as it possibly can be in these types of places? So think around about really good schools, really good health services, you know, law crime, et cetera. How can we get those right? So try to make them as, as good a place as live to as possible to, to live in as possible. But let's not also think that um we're able to bring reams and reams of high paid jobs to um a place like Barrow, let's say which has been in the news recently through Michael like, Gove announcement. I think this, the, the state to do that is very, very limited.
0: Right. Yeah. That's a good note um, to finish on. We need to be pragmatic. It doesn't mean that we, uh, we forget these places, but we need to be uh, pragmatic and actually focused then as a result of that, um, that realism that, that comes to bear. Um, you can read the, uh, the briefing on our website, centercities.org Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of City Talks brought to you by Centre for Cities. You can find us on iTunes and Stitcher by searching Center for Cities. Please rate, review, and subscribe if you like what you heard. You can also follow the center on Twitter at Center for Cities, or like us on LinkedIn for the latest updates on what the center is up to. If you have any comments on the episode or suggestions for topics we should cover in the future, we'd love to hear from you. Do tweet us or send an email to info at The music was from Palace Fires by Johnny Foreigner, used with permission, and all rights are reserved.